Hello there, I'm Patrick Stroh. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the top experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Michael Frank, partner at the law firm Hogan Lavelle's in their Silicon Valley office. Mike stands out in the fast-paced technology, media, and telecommunications sector for his clear, practical, and sound advice on executive compensation and employment benefits issues, topics that are absolute top of mind for executives in, uh, involved in mergers and acquisitions. So I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of very interested people to, excited to hear what you have to say today. So, Mike, welcome, and thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Patrick. Happy to be here. So let's give everybody listening some context here. Tell me, how did you get to this point in your career? And then you can also kind of uh, expand upon your, your expertise in uh, executive compensation issues with regard to M&A. Sure. Um, so I, after I became a lawyer, uh, probably in my third year of practice, that was the sort of the dot-com bubble of the late 90s and had an opportunity to move uh, back to the Bay Area. I'd been out in graduate school before. And uh, so I've spent the last 20-plus uh, years uh, in uh, in San Francisco and in Silicon Valley working on executive comp matters. And so I've sort of seen all the economic cycles from the boom to the bust um from the from the compensation and incentive and retention standpoint and uh certainly um you know earlier in that period IPOs was the way that people were exiting but increasingly uh M&A is the way you know not every company is going to go public a lot of them are very successful and end up selling themselves and that's uh, frankly where uh, a lot of the work is in the tech economy. Well, there's where you and I came across each other. You had done a, a real interesting presentation with regard to a particular method of compensation and retention. And because of our area in mergers and acquisitions where we insure transactions, we don't get involved in the negotiation side uh, in those fine details. Uh, I was surprised to learn about a practice called revesting. And as you explained, revesting is something that is virtually routine in M&A transactions in the tech sector. Could you explain what is revesting and why is it so widely accepted in technology? Sure. Um, so revesting is a concept that uh, that maybe started up about 10 years ago, I would say, you started to see it little by little, and it's increased over time. And it's a technique where uh, the buyer will try to get some retention benefit, um, uh, particularly focused on founders, early key employees, uh, by forcing or, or requiring those founders, those early employees, to subject some of the consideration that they would normally get free and clear in the deal, say stock of the buyer or cash payments, subject vest, subject those payments to vesting. So if the executive, let's say, was uh, going to be entitled to get $5 million in consideration in the sale of his company, um, instead of getting all $5 million at closing, the executive might get 60% uh, of that uh, at at closing and then the other 
$2 million, the other 40% might get paid out over time, uh, say in annual increments, provided that the executive stays there. Um, and, and it, it, uh, it has increasingly become, uh, almost required by a lot of the serial, uh, technology acquirers. Um, and it's because their, their concern is, of course, if they're in, in the tech economy, if you're buying, uh, a company, there's usually two things, uh, that are almost equally important. One is the technology and two is the people. And if, if you are a buyer and you pay a lot of money for a company and the people who, who developed and who have insight into that technology leave quickly, uh, a huge part of the value that you've just, uh, paid for may be, may be gone. And so, so that's uh, in a nutshell why why that technique uh, started and why it's it's grown so much. I, I can imagine as some of these uh, transactions start going up in value, just like real estate in the Bay Area, where you know a million dollar house used to be a really significant purchase uh, years ago. Now that same house is several million dollars. I, I could see where. You know, and, uh, an acquisition could be 50 to 100 million dollars and you could have some individuals collecting 20, 30 million dollars. And so right. they may lose that drive over, over a little time. So by spreading out the payments, I guess that kind of keeps them coming into work every day. Right. And, and I think, you know, originally before, before revesting was, was so common, uh, what a buyer would do is they would say, okay, we're going to pay a hundred million dollars for the company and then we're going to layer on some of our own retention. Maybe we'll give RSUs or stock options or cash retention bonuses to key people. Uh, but you realize as you, as you do, you know, in your example, let's say you do a hundred million dollar deal and, and one key individual stands to get 20 million. Um, it's, if you're going to pay them the 20 million at closing, uh, then then the question arises, you know, what kind of meaningful additional retention could you give them uh, in order to stick around? Um, and so revesting uh, solves part of the problem because it, it, it forces them to wait to get a part of that $20 million. And you know, frankly, mentally, if, if, if you were already vested, you owned those shares free and clear. Um, there's probably even a bigger incentive to stay two or three years, whatever the retention period is, simply in order to get what you kind of felt you already had earned. Um, you know, it, if you're getting 20 million at closing, then layering on another one or two million dollars, whatever might be sort of in the range for an executive at that level in the buyer company, may just not be meaningful enough to get them get them to stay. Gotcha. Yeah, quality of life changes and perspective changes. How right. is re yeah? How is revesting revesting different from in other industries, particularly service industries? We see earnouts as yeah. as the incentive, and, and and owners and founders cannot stand those. But you know they they're sometimes forced to do that. But how is that dif different from uh, from an earnout? Well, it's yeah, it's different in a couple of ways. One the, the one main difference is that an earnout is not typically require anybody to stay in service post closing. It it is a payment that goes based on, you know, some metric of performance of the company that's been purchased 
after the closing. It might be, uh, for example, that uh, revenues in the acquired company or the acquired business reach a certain level or they increase by a certain amount uh, or certain prod product milestones might be made uh, by a certain date. Um, but they're not typically tied to one individual's service. Obviously, if key people leave, it may be much less likely that those uh, that those milestones would be met, but they're not by their terms tied to service. The other difference is that typically a true earnout goes proportionally to all the equity holders. So anybody who owns stock, you know, if you own five shares and I own one, you would stand to get five times the earnout that I would get. Um, revesting, on the other hand, it's it's tied to a key person's uh, continued service. And it's and it only applies to them. Um, so the other shareholders are going to be getting their hundred cents on the dollar uh, or close to it at closing, and only the key individual is going to have to wait uh, for some period of time uh, to to get that additional amount of money. Okay, that makes sense for if you've got investors or venture capital people in there, they, they can get the exit from the transaction. They the revesting doesn't affect that at all. Right. In fact, and there, and and that's a great point, Patrick, because uh, you know, there, that's because of that fact. The the other owners, typically the majority owners, which might be the VCs or other sort of sophisticated investors, they become sort of natural allies a little bit in mm -hmm. in um, with the buyer. In uh, maybe not advocating for, but certainly supporting deal terms that involve a founder uh, revesting because they're getting 100 cents on the dollar. Um, there's likely to be a good result because the founder will stay around at least long enough to help transition the technology or the 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 know-how to uh, buyer personnel, um, and it's it's win-win. Um, you know, and frankly, uh, a buyer may be willing to pay uh, a little bit more per share for the company um, if they're able to lock down some key individuals for a period of time than they would pay um, if there was more risk in terms of the personnel staying around. Mm -hmm. Well, the the interesting thing with revesting, I think, particularly if you're on the buy side, is you know, give just a basic analogy, a $100 million transaction, and you've got a key person there that is due to collect $20 million, and you're not going to pay him the $20 million at closing, you'll pay over time, over multiple years. Well, that lowers your, your transaction cost if you're the buyer. At least, I mean, you'll, you'll pay that $20 million, but you don't have to pay that at closing, so you have a little bit more time uh, to pay out so you can kind of hold your money. So uh, I think it's a, a big benefit for the buyers in this. How how does this uh, benefit the founders and the owners of a firm? Because the investors are going to get their money. The buyer is going to be able to get his, his acquisition or their acquisition kind of at a discount. Uh, what, what's in it for the owners and the founders? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is that, that the point that's related to why the VCs or the other investors might like it uh, or support it, and that is, Ultimately, they may be getting a higher deal price, and so while the while the founder might have to wait two or three years to get all of you know his or her consideration, um, they may be getting you know 
$5 a share instead of 450 or some lower amount because uh, the buyer's willing to pay because they're pretty certain that they're going to get uh, the intact founder team for uh, at least a transitional period of time helping to to push the 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 acquired business forward um, um, the the other one is 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 just I think a lot of times the the personality of, of a true founder is what well they may be selling they may be cashing out they're usually very invested in the business and while they may not temperamentally want to stay long term with a much larger you know company like like a lot of the serial acquirers tend to be they're more entrepreneurial they may sort of feel that they have a vested interest in in making sure that that technology succeeds you know going forward and so building in say a two or three year revesting program um, really gives them a role in making sure that that technology maybe can develop to the next level where there are more, frankly, more resources behind it in a larger organization. And they still have sort of their glide path to exit to go to do their next, you know, serial entrepreneur project um, while being paid, you know, maybe a nice, uh, uh, very healthy salary bonus benefits package while they're doing it and getting the rest of their of their deal consideration paid out. Yeah, I think that that's part part of that thinking of of the owners uh, out there that there are those that just want to kind of ride off into the sunset, and there are other they're just like different people that have different motivations for everything. And that's I can true. see where they're they're investing from. They want to see their baby grow up and you know fulfill whatever dream they had on on final execution and so yeah. i could, i could see them wanting to have a hand in it yeah and i think you know the more unique the, or the more cutting edge the more disruptive that technology or that business may be the more necessary it is and then there's probably some ego involved. You know, you you got the buyers saying, you know, we really can't, we really can't monetize this, or we really can't do with it what we need to do with it in this deal, um, unless you're around for a couple of years. And so, you know, it, it's sort of there, there's some you know mutual uh, benefit there uh, to to that, you know, to hearing that. And and it's gotten, you know, I think as we said in the uh, in the seminar where we talked about this, it's gotten so prevalent that. You know, they may find that virtually any buyer that's coming to them is going to require some sort of a of a revesting deal, and and so I think the market just sort of reinforces the idea that you know this isn't don't look at this as a penalty. It really is affirming the fact that that you're the key person or people with respect to this very important uh, asset that we're looking to buy. It's just it, it is a change of a mindset where rather than think, focusing on you'll get your money just over time, you look at look you get to continue working on your baby with all these other resources and a larger platform and a greater chance for success. So right. you know right. what, what else are you going to do if you're in your you know certain right. age and you know play golf right. for the next seventy five years? You know right. And, and so I, I can see where that comes in. Well, and it's not even yeah. and not even the not even the majority of the deals, but I've even seen deals where part of it is there's a potential for that individual to grow into a bigger role within a larger company, and they end up, mm. you know, they they go and they sign on for this two year deal, and then lo and behold, you see a year later, they've moved up. Um, I had a I had an executive I met I represented once where this happened, and um, he had he had 
he was a quasi founder in this this biotech company, and he ended up being a senior exec in this publicly traded company. Ultimately, he stuck around wow. and grew into that role, and uh, and uh, did very very well for himself then. Okay, well then, so it is a win 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 all the way around if it's structured yep. right. There's yep. there's a potential pitfall when you're talking about comp, you know, executive compensation and this. And particularly in America, but especially California, uh, is tax implications. Yeah. How? Are, what are the tax implications, or what are some considerations? Without getting too deep in the weeds about it, but what are the tax implications with revesting versus, we'll say, getting your money all out? Yeah. Um, well, the 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 key is going to be from the executive standpoint. There's always going to be sensitivity. They own their shares, and if they simply sold them to you. For, for cash or stock, they they would have a capital gains event. Ultimately, they would be selling their stock, and you know, just look at the federal rates, even under even under the Trump tax rates, difference between capital gain and uh, ordinary income is about seventeen uh, percent. It's thirty seven percent versus twenty percent. So it's a big savings if you can get capital gains as opposed to ordinary income. So the the executive is going to have a huge interest in making sure that the deal is structured so that this revested consideration, this consideration that they have to work more to earn, doesn't get recharacterized as just ordinary compensation income, which would be taxed at the highest rates. Um, and so in a stock deal, it's very clear that that's the case that it's that it's not compensation income there are some different rules if the deal is a tax free reorganization or a taxable deal and in a taxable deal there may be capital gains payable at closing even though the consideration is going to be subject to further vesting but even there there's a technique where you can at least make sure that the going forward appreciation on the buyer stock that the executive gets can all be capital gain um, if it's a cash deal, which is probably the majority of the deals we do, um, then it's a little bit less certain. The tax position is a little bit less certain, but there are techniques to to try to maximize the the position that effectively this individual is just doing what's called an installment sale. And as they get, they're not going to have to pay tax on that deferred money, on that revested money until it gets paid out. So they're, they're, the position is that they're still getting a capital gains payment and they're actually getting to defer recognizing that. So there is even uh, potentially a deferral benefit uh, involved in a cash deal. Okay, so there are, there are traps if you go in unprotected, but there are workarounds if you plan right, if you, uh, I, I, I would imagine when we had a conversation about this, that the buyer, uh, will work with the seller. Uh, they they usually do work together to make sure that that everybody's taken care of, so that this somebody's been left out in the cold tax wise. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, a people are very focused to make sure that that the the advisors on all sides are in agreement as to what the appropriate position would be. And while there aren't, of course, you can't. Nobody can guarantee. What the IRS is going to do, people do really uh, go a pretty long way to make sure that they're that they're taking the right tax or the appropriate tax positions so that the executives will be protected. In fact, I just had a call yesterday on this very point where we're <laughs> we're forcing revesting on a couple of key folks, and uh, the the counsel for the target wanted to make sure that 
you know, we were in agreement that this was going to be characterized as deal consideration and not compensation income. Okay. All right. So, it, it, I mean, the, the pros like yourself that are in this and you're dealing with other professionals on the other side of the table. Yeah. This is something that's routine that you work or you work with and work through. So, I mean. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. If, if anybody just tries to get cheap and not have a professional like you on their side, then, you know, that's, that's a buyer beware situation. Now, <laughs> yeah. As, as an expert in this and you're based in Silicon Valley, although you're working all over the country these days, um, what trends do you see for revesting? Is it, it's clearly got a good foothold in technology. Do you see it practice widening for other types of, of deals or is there a, a model for the type of deal where revesting works where it may not otherwise work? Yeah, it, 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 that's a great question. I think it probably is going to work in an industry where um, where the talent, where the individual talent is really highly valued and, and, and is taught and, and not, not just valued in, in terms of someone's a great executive or a great manager or a great business person, but where the talent is really closely tied to the business or the assets that are being purchased. Um, and so, you know, you could imagine, um, uh, for example, you could imagine it working in, in entertainment type deals, for example, where the, you know, the, the, the creative types might be key to keeping, but might, might dovetail very nicely. On the other hand, if you've got a business that may be a very successful business, but where what's being sold is more of a commodity and, you know, once you buy it, you know, uh, 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 any good sharp manager can do reasonably well with it. It's probably not going it, to, it's probably not going to, uh, uh, morph into those types of deals. Um, I mean, we have seen. You mentioned how it's it's pretty prevalent in the Silicon Valley and in the Bay Area, but and and you know maybe five years ago, um, you'd see this proposed in other deals in other geographies, and people on the East Coast in particular were pretty skeptical about it. Um, initially, and you, you saw pushback, and people weren't sure whether it worked. And now, you know, we see it in deals again, primarily in the technology space, but not exclusively. Um, and and you see it in deals, certainly in you know in Boston, in uh, the Mid Atlantic. I've seen it in deals in Texas. Um, I think we've got a deal that's pending in uh, the Southeast, where and it's not even a technology deal, but where this is sort of part of the term sheet. So it, I think it's expanding its reach. Okay. Well, and that's that's good to know. I think out here, you know, California, Georgia, the issue on the entertainment sector uh, is, is definitely something to keep a, keep a lookout for. Yeah. Um, Mike, what would your, if your client's coming to you and there's a deal that involves revesting, what's your number one piece of advice to a client? What to look out for or what to make sure of? I would say the the real key is making sure what the executive or executives who are going to be subject to the revesting what they have because everything we've been talking about is the deal where the senior person owns stock outright and there it's a pretty well-worn path. Sometimes you'll get a deal and there are two or three key people and two of them own, let's say two of them own stock and the third one was there from the beginning, but for whatever strange reason, they don't have stock. They've just got options. And then 
what you can do may be more limited without a tax issue. And so, you know, I guess before jumping in and agreeing to certain terms, make sure you understand what the guy ha- guy or gal has on the ground. Because if, if, if you come up with a structure and it turns out that the facts are different, um, you're going to have to walk a lot of that back and maybe restructure the whole deal. Mm, okay. Very, very helpful. Well, Mike, there are, I'm sure, lots of people that are going to have specific questions for you on their particular angle and so forth. How can our listeners find you? Um, uh, they can certainly reach me um, by phone. I'm at 650-463-4097. I'm also on the website, uh, hoganlevels.com. Uh, my email is mike.frank at hoganlevels.com. So any one of those things will will work. All right, great. Well, again, a meaty subject that maybe isn't the top line uh, topic when talking about M&A because everybody's talking deal value and so forth. And also because a lot of people are very private, but they're very, very sensitive to compensation and so forth. And so these yeah. are uh, near and dear to everybody's heart. And, uh, you know, it's uh, has a big uh, life impact. A lot of people, it's uh, generation changing. So thank you very much, Mike, for this great uh, presentation. And I recommend if anybody has any questions that Mike's just not only uh, uh, available regularly, but he takes very complex subjects and makes them very, very simple. So uh, definitely the the mark of a, a real expert. So thank you very much, Mike. Thanks, Patrick. Take care.